Namaste and in Lockett. Welcome to another episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host, Zen Benefiel. And as I've said a number of times before, the ancients have some really good wisdom to share with us, both in the Namaste and in Lakech. Namaste is the Sanskrit spoken, it's Brahmi, and it means I am, or I recognize the, the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. Yeah, easy for me to say. And in Lakech is actually Mayan, and it means I am another you. So think about those perspectives when you're looking in the mirror and, and looking into the eyes of others, and, and just kind of consider that. Notice the difference in yours and their behavior as a result. It's, it's phenomenal. So thanks again for tuning in. This week's guest is Octavia Brooks, and she is an intuitive relationship strategist for entrepreneurs. Um, she actually has a, a pretty interesting background. She first graduated from UC Berkeley with humanities uh, degree. She also is a professional, uh, I'm sorry, a project management professional with certification through the Project Management Institute, which I'm familiar with, and as a project manager myself, and a certified online business manager through the International Association of OBMs, but what really caught my eye was she's a graduate at OptiMind, which is neuroscience coaching and leadership training. So I think we're going to have a, a not I think, I know we're going to have a great discussion. Octavia, welcome. Thank you so much, Zen. It is just, it's really fun to be here. Well, I hope it's going to be fun by the time you leave too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll be right, here so time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, time's malleable. Um, in your discovery of your abilities and the, the connection of the neuroscience and the intuitive nature, how did that first come about? What, what were the things that were going on and, and how did you recognize that in you? Oh, wow. Um, so my background, I have like the whole spiritual resume that isn't really out there in the public world yet. I've been thinking about publishing it. I started with uh, Anadea Judith, actually, was one of my very earliest teachers. She is a, a chakra master. Mm -hmm. and she helped open up my horizons to basically other worlds. My mom, okay, this is really silly, but when I was a teenager and I just thought my mom was completely nuts, she was a follower of all things Finhorn that she could find. Okay. Okay. She decided to, she would run around in the backyard and build little houses for fairies and stuff like that. So my mom, I guess you could say, was one of my first inspirations. Well, that's cool to have that though, because she was, you know, open to nature Right. Right. And a lot of times we call those pagans, but, you know, it, it's really much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so just having that was one of the things I wished I'd had as a kid. I was yeah. So I thought my, my mom was just like totally, totally weird. And in fact, I even I tried to be part of an atheist society, um, but I got mad because they, <laughs> I got mad because they thought I misspelled my name and they, they wrote me back, Mr. You know, and and I was like, because I used to have an, another name. It was Ellie when I was a kid. And I, okay. and I like Mr. Eli. And like, no contact oh, references there now, are there? I don't think so. <laughs> but they definitely, I got really turned off to atheism. And I think that's a funny part of my chapter because of how spiritual I am now. 
And so let me have you pause for just a second so that our audience understands what chakras are. This okay. is a Hindu system, correct? Or, or Eastern yeah. system that has seven energy centers from the crown, third eye, uh, throat, heart, uh, solar plexus, um, sex center, and root of the spine. That's right. Tip of the spine, right? Okay. It's a Hindu energy system, and each of the chakras has the correspondences uh, um, to our lives on the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional levels. So it's actually a way that you can troubleshoot your life by working with your chakra system. Right. There was a guy in the 50s, uh, his name was William Swigard, that developed what he called a, a multi-level awareness program or technique that allowed the a facilitator to help the experiencer go through their chakras and balance them. It's kind of yeah. a cool process. Yeah. So I actually started at Berkeley. I, I started with Anadea and she, at that time, I'm not sure if she's still really connected to it or not. She was a pagan priestess. So I began to go to these rituals, these pagan rituals, and I found them to be so incredibly transformative, like not just very creative, and very connected in the, the leaders, the people who played the main roles as the gods and goddesses in the rituals were clearly channeling energy that was bigger than normal human energy. Right, and it was quite alarming. Yeah, I got really intrigued by this. And over time, I was a pagan priestess for about 20 years and I learned how to do that kind of channeling myself. And I also developed the ability to speak with, uh, so I channeled that energy but not inside me, and then uh, where we did invocations. So we would, to our rituals, we would call certain gods and goddesses that were applicable for the theme of that particular ritual that we were doing. So for example, like a world peace, we would call in Kuan Yin and maybe, and maybe Jesus. And considering mm -hmm. that this is really a goddess religion, we didn't always call in the gods. But it's very- yeah. Kuan Yin and Lady Nada and the whole, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was very cross-cultural, gave me a lot of really good exposure. And, and I also learned how to speak with these entities that came in. And some of some So what's that like? Uh, that's that, you know, because a lot of people I do believe have these kinds of experiences and don't know what they have to do with them because, they're, they're, you know, they can't talk to people about it because they're going to think they're nuts or at least that's what they think is going to happen and you know back in my day when I first start opening that's exactly what happened my parents oh, tried to yeah. institutionalize me for a while oh. and uh, and that didn't work of course because you know I just learned to shut up <laughs> you know um, but today that's much different because of all the information and the resources and hopefully the, a deeper understanding of what we are actually capable of doing and experiencing so how, how would you, um, how, what kind of suggestions might you give to those folks? So the people who, well, let me just um, place a little bit of context. In the sure. pagan system, the pagan context, we were all a little crazy. And a lot of us had these experiences. Yeah, we do weird well. We do weird really well. And there were also studies with the elementals, nature, nature deities and things like that. Mm -hmm. But for people who, uh, when I'm teaching students how to communicate with spirits, because I'm a spirit medium from way back, 
I talk, I, I start them with the elementals, for example, and set sure. up an altar and develop a relationship and open yourself up to the way that presence shows up in your life. So for example, if you did an altar to air, you would become more sensitive to the way air operates and especially understand how it's operating with your mind, for example, because air is associated with the mental realms. And now today we would call that from the realms of quantum physics, quantum entanglement. Yes, that's right. That's right, yep. Okay. Yep. And so you become quantum entangled with these, with the energies of East and air and not very long within a month, within a couple of weeks of a daily recognition of those energies, you start to develop a language, a language that will help you communicate with that entity. Mm -hmm. From that point in time, like your friends now, just right. like a human sitting next to you, you're friends with those energies. And when you call on East and Air, East and Air comes and shows up. And now, is this um, the language that you develop? Is this um, verbal, visual, kinesthetic? Everybody's different, actually, Zen. And everybody has a preference. And most of the time, people will they'll get messages in, in a way and... Actually, if it's visual or verbal, it's so much easier to interpret. Mm. And a lot of people are kinesthetic and they get a sensation in their body, but they don't necessarily know what it means. Right. So it can take a while to work with these skills and, and talents and really understand what's going on. It's not necessarily, I mean, you're lucky if you're clairaudient and you receive messages audially, and it takes a pretty powerful spirit guide to be able to like navigate from whatever dimension they live in all the way down here to your ears your brain your mind here in the third dimension right because <laughs> there is a condensation if you will huh. because that as you move into the, the larger or, or higher dimensions for lack of a better frequency changes and they become much more fine uh it's like thin worlds right um where the there's really no physicality to it, or at least what we consider to be physicality. Now, if we were resided on their level, it may be just the same. Could be real solid looking right. over there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause it's that, that's their bandwidth, right? And they right. operate in their bandwidth very well. Right. Okay. So in, in the language, you know, we were talking earlier about the three brain system and you mentioned that the, the kinesthetics feeling it, the, in the sensing, the gut feeling, the intuition, things like that, which that is kind of hard to... Kinesthetic message was really shocking to me. Well, sure. So how, what kind of discernment do you think could be developed or, or at least uh, an awareness of the kind of discernment that might be necessary to help assist what those sensations are or interpreting them? Well, I always like to, to ask students to really clearly define their yeses and their noes. You can do this with muscle testing as well. You always want to start with what's a really clear yes and maybe ask your body. Body, what do you feel like when you're receiving a really clear yes? And your body will do something. It'll demonstrate that to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, body, now let's think about a, a, like smoking 20 cigarettes at a time and... Um, pouring gasoline on your head. Okay, what's your no? 
and then your body will just go, you know, and it'll give right. you like a really clear no. Right. And yeses and nos, you can start to parlay out into greater understanding. So almost what I heard, what I think I heard you say was that the yeses would have a sense of, of openness and resonance, perhaps, and, and the no would feel like you're kind of closing up. I think that's really very clear, clearly said, because yeses are usually open, free, expansive, light, mm -hmm. and nos are very constricting, constraining, and dark in general. Right. And we seek to, to find simple ways, kind of like Einstein, right? The simpler we can explain things, the, the more we understand them and the more others can understand them. Exactly. And, and so then it comes down to what questions you're asking. So All important. Well, yeah. Well, so if you ask a really complicated question that, that has an answer that's like a mixed answer as a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you probably want to break that down into chunk questions. Okay, mm -hmm. how many glasses of water, you know, is should I drink four glasses of water or 10 glasses of water a day? You know, make it really obvious, especially at first as you're re refining your skills, right? so that you can really get a greater sense. And then eventually your body's going to be able to give you more complicated messages and you're going to be able to interpret those messages so let's take an evo leap for a moment and let, let's go to the business side of things where you're dealing with a lot of left brain people fun, fun, fun. how does how does that work okay and, and what kinds of because in in the, in the nature of business um you know today they say there's a sense making thing going on and as well as learning how to slow down in order to speed up it's paradoxical, but yet it works because you're making better decisions the slower you go. And how does that affect uh, or how would the, the work that you do and achieving the integration, you know, bringing the corpus callosum in, into the picture, so to speak? Sure. Right? Because that's where the transference between right and left brain is uh, translated. Well, this is my favorite topic in the whole world, Zen. So, you know, rein me in. Goody, goody. So we already talked about, let's, let's segue. We talked about yeses and nos. And we talked about light and heavy. So imagine that you've got to make a decision. As an entrepreneur, we're making decisions freaking constantly, right? Oh, yeah. We're making a decision about, well, should I go for this? I have like 10 ideas of revenue streams. Which one is going to be the most effective for me to start on next? So you can evaluate that when you feel into each one of these 10, and I say feel into, like imagine the energy, the vibration of that. And sometimes I even teach entrepreneurs to, okay, that revenue stream or that decision has all these variables to it. Right. And it I, seems I, like it would be almost, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay, let me finish the technique. Yeah. Uh, first, there's all these variables, but you can distill the variables into basically one color, texture, vibration, and then you have an array of these 10 different color texture vibrations around you. All of that is understood by your higher self, even though it seems complicated from a mental perspective. And then you can- We overthink things a lot. We overthink things all the time, right? Then you can project your heart, your body. You can ask the question of all of your extrasensory facilities. If this, if each one, which one is the lightest and which one is the heaviest out of all of these 10? 
So, and maybe even you could even potentially get it on like a scale of one to 10, light being a one, 10 being like really, really heavy. Right. And that will help you make a decision amongst all these potential path, pathways that you could choose. So I think that light and heaviness is something I learned from Jenna Flacker and it's served me a million, million times in making decisions. And rightfully so. Now, the, what I started to say was that, because you triggered me, right? Uh, in a good way, because the, okay. the whole adage of being um, entrepreneurial and, and goal setting, you know, you, you begin with the end in mind. So you visualize the outcome and with each of those 10 choices, right? Yeah. You, you could sit with that and, and just be in that space, not necessarily um, push or pull your way through it energetically, but just to be in that still place and imagine what it might be and let it roll out. And sometimes that, that may even, you know, give that evidence that, of course, if you've got 10 questions, you do it with each one of them, then you're going to have uh, a greater ability to scale them, yes. right, as far as priority as, as to which works best. Yes, yes. That beginning with the end in mind, that's a project manager. I didn't realize you were a project manager. We think like that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, okay, you want this goal and you want this much time and we backward schedule to the present moment. And thank God we have those skills because it really helps once we get this spiritual information about the direction we're going to take, then we've got to get those on the ground skills activated as well. Right. And that's where the, the neuroscience the, and my training with the neuro or the Optimine Institute kind of comes in with peak mental performance. Sure. And, and ultimately, by, by doing that, by activating the mind in greater ways and understanding how to do so, the um, it, it reminds me in both degrees, and especially in my MBA, I, I have an MBA in project management and MBA in organizational management. Um, there was a quadratic formula that was used to determine time frames when you can expect being able to complete a project, right? Mm -hmm. And so what it boiled down to was uh, thumbnail. It's going to take you three three times as long as you think it will. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Now with what you're talking about, right? Because that's, that's eliminating the inner awareness of how to, to be or, or move in this co-creative process, right? So that three times as long can be truncated because mm -hmm. you're more actively aware and perceiving the best path through that because of the questions you're answer, you're asking the answers you're getting and, and the attention you're paying you know the the attention intention and interaction right is much clearer from that perspective and so you don't have all the ancillary um possibilities or distractions distractions that extend time frames yes yeah you can stay more focused because you've already gone, like you can trust your decision-making process. You've already gone through the decision. I chose this path because it was definitely the best path. So I'm going down this path and I'm gonna be all in. If I'm all in, I'm not gonna let distractions creep in there. And then also like, I think this is in keeping with some of what you've already spoken about. You can do a vibrational attunement. You can stay vibrationally attuned to that path that you have chosen. There's a consciousness to that path. 
And that mm -hmm. consciousness can be interactive with you and bring oh. inspiration and in innovation, ideas, and all that stuff to make everything easier. That's just one optimization. So what's that vibrational attunement or attunement? Uh, how would you explain that to a left brain person? Uh, let's see. <laughs> could, it be a, could it be a sense? Could it be a feeling that once you've experienced it, it it's in the file, right? In, yeah. in your database. And so yeah. you can call that file up and, and be in that file. I think that is really accurate. That's a really good way of explaining it. And then also so many entrepreneurs already know about visualizing mm -hmm. and being, like you said earlier, the end state allowing that end state to be 360 degrees around you, all full senses, full senses, full sensory experience of feta complete. I got there, I am completely successful. This is what's around me. And that is a form of vibrational attunement with all levels of your mind and consciousness on that path. And you go from that, I know you should do that a couple of times a day at least. And then your inspirations come from that. So your inspirations are on track and they're in tune. So that's, that's, I think that's probably one of the easier ways to explain it to the left brainers. Well, and it sounds very comprehensive too. You know, I, I love how Tom Campbell, you know, it, it, he talks about uh, from a physicist standpoint, right? Which is very left brain. So he says he's trying to explain a right brain world to left brain thinkers. And that's kind of what, what we're doing because you know, the, there is this balanced mind, or even if you want to go so far as to say the one mind that is operational in everything, yeah. and that by being able to um, balance the two hemispheres, whether it's through the pineal or the corpus callosum, right? It's the same effect that they're, they're both different aspects of the same operational capacity within our brain right is that true okay yeah. um sometimes things just sound like they make sense it didn't make them so right um so in in this then take it let's take it to the next level how would you see that in operation within an organization or, or a company well, I'm working, I work with entrepreneurs that have larger companies and mm -hmm. the way I work with them is, uh, well, teach them this decision-making process. I also do a connection with their, with the consciousness of their higher purpose and the consciousness of their business. So imagine you've got a business, you've got all these moving parts, everything is, you know, activity, activity, action, action. And if there's an overriding consciousness that is coming from the direct one mind and lots of people have different names for that they can call it god they can call it you know yahweh all the different names from that one centralized consciousness if you are peeling off a slice of that unified centralized consciousness and invoking it for your company because everything is consciousness especially with people involved right then the entrepreneur can basically almost channel the consciousness of that, of that entity, that slice of consciousness, but they wouldn't call it channeling. They would just, <laughs> they would just be able to trust. Yeah. You, you saw me kind of go, wait a minute. Cause yeah. you know, channeling 
to a business person or a left brain thinker is going to sound completely doors shades will be drawn doors will be closed right and so but it's really it it's been a, a term that was used in a metaphysical environment and the new age movement things like that because there really wasn't anything else to be to use so it's kind of moved through the system and, and come up yet again and yet what it is is just the ability to tune in and be clear with that open connection you have to your own infinite intelligence that's right right and we each have that and it's like we were talking earlier about my NDs uh, as a teenager and, and learning that hey we are all cosmic consciousness condensed into form we just don't understand how that all works and, and quantum physics is now proving that and yet there's still this gap you know it's like Howard Gardner's work in the 1980s he came out with uh, uh, multiple intelligences as far as being able to access or assess uh, school children's learning aptitudes and abilities you know mm -hmm. we we did have the visual um kinesthetic and auditory as our three main learning modes well now there's eight or nine within the multiple intelligences and yet even though those are recognizable you can't really test for them because you have to observe the student and their learning behaviors in order to determine where they fit in that and we all we use all of them it's not that we use anyone specifically but we're you know prone to use one or, or several and yet that information and that understanding has yet to be applied ubiquitously in the school system. The school which, system which is kind of sad. 20 or 30 years behind. Right. Of every, yeah, right. the rest of all the other human developments. Yeah. I was fortunate as a teacher in, in uh, charter schools that we had, some, had lessons plans that included multiple intelligence very aspects. Cool. Very, very cool. um, What a godsend. Right, uh, and yet it made teaching more complex. Yeah, but a guy like you likes that. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I like the complexity. I am comfortable in chaos because I know there's order there. I just have to discover it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then share, of course, so that everybody else doesn't feel freaked out. And as a project manager, you know, when you're dealing, um, you know, with a large corporation, I was project manager. Uh, production control coordinator in the aerospace industry uh, in my late 20s, responsible for $7 million in shipments a month, 800 different part numbers. So I had the, the run of the plant and getting people, places and things in alignment to get my job done. And so there was this learning of, you know, what, what people expected, what they anticipated, and what they'd be surprised by that would open them up to do better and serve my needs more. Right. And it wasn't a manipulation. It was just the fact of recognizing them as another human being and treating them as such. Right. Influence. I like to call that influence. I never had any direct reports as a project manager. So in order for me to get my job done, I had to make everybody else really, really happy to work for me. <laughs> right. Well, I had no authority. We, we had no, it was all informal authority. It was not expressed. And we just had to go make it done, you know, make things happen. Talk. Come on, let's make this fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did. I had a blast. And uh, and because of that, it, I was an outlier in our department. This was in the mid-80s, early to, to mid-80s. 
yeah. and uh, you know interpersonal skills classes were necessary and, and yet never uh, instituted right uh, right we had to coach all those people on how to get along with each other because <laughs> right. we were the leaders Right. We're the leaders. No, nope, this is how we treat each other. This is what's going to make everybody effective. We're all in the same boat, getting to the same goal here. Let's. And I was the youngest guy in the department, so nobody listened to me. Oh, I had that too. <laughs> when I was in college, I looked like I was 14. Nobody ever wanted to look <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and yet, you know, you got through it and, and things happened. So it's, um, and it's amazing how when you begin to learn this kind of, it's, it's really foreign to begin with and, and kind of uncomfortable because it's something new, you're working with an unknown. And at the same time, there's this sense of, you know, that actually feels right. And I don't understand why, you right. don't really have to. Right. Right. Because that explanation will come over time because you're going to start asking questions. Okay, why? Right. And then now, how do I replicate that? And how do I share that with others so that we can all experience this new living awareness yeah. that edifies the quantum entanglement in all of us or the spirit in all of us, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So how are there, coming out of COVID, let's, let's go that direction for a minute. Okay. How do you see this kind of activity helping to move the populace forward? Because one of the things that I noticed, um, uh, Klaus Schwab, who's the executive director and founder of the World Economic Forum, wrote a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset. In that, he asked a couple of questions. One is, can we be caring and compassionate towards one another coming out of COVID? That was a personal question. And then the business question was, can we be agile enough? to survive yeah because the old methodologies just aren't going to work we have no idea what the result of this economically will be across the world and, and it's yeah it's going to be really different in every country and every country's industries are going to have like a total reshuffle you know these industries used to be on top now it's these industries right. so and whether we can predict those trends i mean i think there's some ability to do that well, entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurialism is a passion of just an absolute passion of mine, not only because it, of the personal journey part of it and how we develop ourselves to be better humans on the entrepreneurial journey, also because entrepreneurs see the world differently. We're very, very innovative thinkers. We're very cutting edge thinkers. And we, we look for the opportunities that are in between. So my passion to support entrepreneurs is so that they can really go out and make a really big impact on the world. And what we find with entrepreneurs so much is, is we get in the way of ourselves. So that's- uh, um, Really? Um, <laughs> I never experienced that. Question. Um, <laughs> so if you were an entrepreneur who is having trouble being successful, even regardless of you know pre-pandemic, during pandemic or after pandemic, it's, there's a need for you to connect to more of your inner resources. There's a need for you to connect to these quantum aspects of yourself uh, where you can see from a higher, greater, bigger perspective. Now and, you, do you feel that this might be a, a, like almost a natural design embedded within us that now because of the 
outer chaos, we're forced to go inward and allow that to emerge? Well, um, I think that was a, a leading question, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my opinions. Uh, so, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I agree with you on that. I think we're restructuring on every possible level, and I think we're restructuring internally. And so, okay, the entrepreneurial personality is really kind of is so far out of the box anyway. Right. And the entrepreneurial personality, because in order to be successful, you had to have like all guns blazing. You have to be able to express yourself 120%. You can't get in, you can't be in the way of self-expression and really achieve big things as an entrepreneur. So right. because of that, we do a lot of personal development and we know ourselves really, really well. And we know, you know, the, the issues that we had uh, in childhood, we know exactly how they've been playing out in our business. And our ability to be successful, we know. Do we, or are we still maybe a little bit reticent to yeah. accept that that's actually what's happening? Well, you know, it's not, as we observe in our patterns, kind of here's the cognitive science coming or scientists coming out, right? Because these are all patterns of behavior, and do we actually recognize them, or do we have to get to the point where everything else disappears in order for us to actually see what's going on? Right, because we will, if we don't let go of those, we'll create the havoc. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of searching. Entrepreneurs search for answers. The answer is that the to your question, implied question is, I think entrepreneurs are searching themselves for the reasons why I'm, why I can't achieve what I want, and there is, uh, there have been science studies with. Um, the mental health that entrepreneurs grew up with. Mm -hmm. So most, there's a 40% likelihood that if you're an entrepreneur, you are already aware of a mental health issue that you personally have. And in order to be successful, you've got to learn how to navigate and manage that. And 70% of entrepreneurs grew up in families where there was mental health issues present. So because of that, like in order to be successful and, and to follow that drive, you really have to know yourself well, because if you're not, if you don't, you can't be productive. Just straight up and pure and simple. If you're, you have to have emotional regulation to be able to be productive and to create your success. That's very true. And usually uh, without training or in an unbridled state, if you will, when we have a confrontation with someone we will respond in how we're being behaved toward right and so it's usually uh, like aggressive and so we react aggressively rather than recognizing okay this is a pattern of theirs i don't have to be engaged by it i'm just going to sit here and or stand take a breath and mm -hmm. i'm going to respond first by acknowledging the pattern within me and then, and depending, um, I think it's always best to acknowledge the pattern in the other skillfully, right? Because if you just call it out, all you're going to do is create more problems. Compassionately. And gently be empathic and aware and, and create a, a, a generative environment where you can both evolve simultaneously with this because now you've just overcome um, what Goldbrack calls a bottleneck. 
um, so once those bottlenecks are, are recognized, then how would you, how do you work with them in order to um, ascend at the speed of surrender? <laughs> oh, I love that term, ascend at the speed of, so that bottleneck, the Course in Miracles would call that a miracle because there's been an energy clarification. Mm -hmm. and the person has been recognized in their pain. So I have a talent, another talent that allows me, this is a shamanic type of skill. And I, I don't call myself a shaman because nobody ever handed me that title. I developed a skill set over many years of study. Um, but I have the ability to, the shamanic sight, to travel a timeline and be able to get answers for people about why they behave the way they do. And well, that's interesting. It's, it's helpful. And yes, uh, I no doubt. I have to keep my mouth shut a lot when I'm just in conversation with people sometimes, you know what I mean? And then I just, you know, in these moments, like you're saying, where somebody's misbehaving and I'm like, wow, they're really misbehaving. And I feel all this stuff inside me. And I, and I just, I open my presence right. to them with where they're at and witness and, and um, give really gentle mirroring feedback. And when I work with an entrepreneur who comes and presents to me, I can't seem to get this thing done for the life of me. I've been trying for years or I've got this repeating pattern. I'm just so sick of it. How do I, like, I, I talked to another guy the other day who was like, every November without fail, I get involved in a bad relationship. <laughs> so it's the same girlfriend, different name. Right. And, and these kinds of patterns that just drive us berserk, right? Sure. And those patterns were programmed and occasionally it's a past life issue. Most of the time it's a current childhood or a current lifetime issue. And I have the ability to go back into the childhood moment where the belief system got implanted. We had, uh, you know, so common when uh, in the earliest ages between like birth, like birth trauma up to about age five, Everything that happens to us in those really formative years has an incredible impact on our psychology right. and our ability to, yeah. you know, really express who we are. I can relate to that. I was orphaned as a baby, as a newborn, and I wondered for years why I had abandonment issues. Ouch, 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 ouch. Even though I was in this wonderful family, I still felt alone. Right, and, and right. Was... And guilty about it too, probably. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Wait um... a minute, but they love me, but I feel so guilty, but I feel so separate. Yeah, and yeah. in my birth trauma, I felt really, really separated from everything and everybody and love and yeah, and it takes a long time because of the impact, it can take many passes to heal some of these really early childhood issues. Well, and, and those kind of behaviors oftentimes prompt us to do just the opposite, right? To be caring and considerate and, and loving um, beyond any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, um, and allow yourself, you know, my adopted father used to say, damn it, do you, do you have to trust everybody? Right? And I, my response was, well, yeah, then they, you know, if I don't, then they can't prove themselves worthy or not. 
But that sounds like a pretty mature approach then. Most people just choose not to trust anybody or they choose to just get stuck on a setting of maybe over giving to everybody else and nothing for me or yeah. I, I could tell you so many stories about like how that childhood, those experience, like one experience, imagine busy parents and they don't feed the baby quickly enough and the baby lays there hungry for a while. Your body has no idea at that age how to interpret those signals. You are just, you are in incredible stress or crying in the middle of the night, especially in, you know, in our ages, the child rearing practices are so much more evolved now than they were when we were growing up. It was normal to leave your kid crying in the other room without any kind of support or love. Yeah, yeah. But, leave them alone, they'll learn. Oh, <laughs> devastating. <laughs> Trust me, it's devastating. And so there's, uh, you know, um, John Bradshaw, I think, was the name of the guy who developed yeah. the, you know, reparenting your inner child. I practiced that. I came into contact with that really early on, and I've been practicing that and evolving that practice over my lifetime. But I was still running into a lot of walls until one of my NLP practitioner mentors, Keith Fail, helped me understand, you know, go go into the earlier childhood uh, area. And then that opened up a whole world of study of, of self-study that, that I use with clients of the ramifications of early childhood traumas. Mm -hmm. And it could literally be as simple as one of my clients had a poopy diaper, she was overheated and, uh, and crying. Basically your body's going in too many directions as a child, as a baby, and you have no idea how to interpret it. And you're just like, I gotta get out of here. And what we do is dissociate and we dissociate. Or learn how to have OBEs very early. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we have OBEs and then we're still alive, right? And so that's yeah. one of our, that's, that's the process of soul retrieval and the shamanic term where you go back and you find a part of you that's still hanging out over there and not here present incorporated in your body. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to tie this back into entrepreneurialism and influential leadership. When you're dissociated and all these parts of you are hither and yon, who's doing the marketing? Who's sitting in front of the, you know, the sales potential client? Who's doing that? Well, like a percentage of you, 40, 50, 60% of you is doing that. So it's hard to get the sale. It's hard to be present in your marketing. It's hard to connect with people authentically. And for sure, it's hard to get out of your blind spots to find out how you're kicking yourself in the butt and right. not really allowing yourself to connect and be successful. So when I go back and I do these soul retrievals, we rework. So the shamanic practice I use, the soul retrieval practice, is very similar to hypnosis, hypnotic induction, NLP, mm -hmm. it does all of those things, but it's in a more organic kind of nature oriented way, but it creates neuroelasticity, which then allows people to put in new mind maps in their brain. All of these things were hanging out in your subconscious. They were mind maps. They're communicating to the universe, broadcasting all the, from these beliefs of lack and hunger and pain and suffering that's the message. Even if you're right. consciously projecting a message as loudly as you can, 
it's getting all garbled up by the time it gets to the universe because of this mixture inside you. Right. And and the lack of self-awareness of that. And one of the things that I'm sure you've Very noticed is that allows you to, to be who you are in this is that as you grew to know these features and benefits, right, um, you also were able to see yourself in others and, and, and at least I find this practice or, or this in my transformational coaching business at whatever I'm working with in with my client I'm going through it simultaneously referencing double checking triple checking making sure that I'm spot on because what I have to offer I have to be a hundred percent at least sure that in the experiment, they're going to get good results because I don't know exactly what their results are going to be. All I know is that it's a process to get them. Yeah, yeah. Do you find that to be true? I'm, for I'm super results oriented, and when I first started working with clients, I'm like, you know, my left brain was all red flags. Really, you've got this talent, huh? You think you can do something with it, huh? <laughs> Let's see if you can actually resolve the problems that they come in with. Okay, let's see. And I developed this intake form that makes it really clear, like, here's my starting place. And, and okay, now I have received some sessions with Octavia. And we go back and look, do you still have those problems? Well, no, they got resolved in the weirdest possible way. I never could tell, predict that pathway. But so much of my anxiety has dropped away. So much of my depressive tendencies have dropped away which then gets back into your peak performance, your productivity. Right. As you bring these dissociated parts of you back home, you calm down. You have a lot less worry. You have a lot less frustration. The things that were difficult before are not difficult for you anymore. And, and you have more and more presence. And there, that's how you become an influential leader. And you show up differently. You show up as a much more confident, authentic person who is has high self-esteem which is also very attractive to people people want to work with people that have high self-esteem absolutely and that countenance the or <clears throat> the authority and conviction of the confidence um to those of a lesser self-aware state might see that as ego and want to push back as opposed to allow themselves to be further engaged. And I think that's kind of a recurring pattern that I've noticed in, in working with groups of people, you know, because I've worked with anywhere from 50 to 200 people on, on projects and things. And so in that, and, and of course, in that process, I'm, I'm observing everything else because you got to stay on top of it as project lead. And in that process, then I, I see these different aspects and, and wonder to myself, okay, now what's the, you know, what are better methods that I can use to get these folks to, who are leaders to lead better? Right. And for those who are, for lack of better followers or employees, to actually acknowledge that, okay, I understand that this is just, again, it's part of a process or a pattern of getting things done. Mm -hmm. 
So well, I think there's like there's a healthy there's a healthy ego, and there's a the the ego the healthy ego is concerned for other people, mm -hmm. and and also really solid in knowing their. It's purpose. kind of a we go instead of an ego. This, that's a really good term. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that before. We go. A we go is when you're concerned about like it's reciprocal. I enable you to be the best you can be. And we achieve this greater goal together. Right. And and I'm solid in who I am. I know who I am. I know my skills and talents. I know my strengths and weaknesses. And I'm not going to lord over you. I'm not going to try to dominate you. I want. I might be a little harsh because I want to show you something that you don't want to look at. That's that's uh, thwarting both of us. So it's it's a little bit of a tough love. But those, that's influential leader. When, when the person comes around and realizes, oh, my God, I really don't want to be that way. Thank you, influential right. leader, for showing me that. Right. Yeah. And You're not barking at them. You're just trying to be effective. Right? right. Yeah. 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 Not every Wego person is super gentle. You know, everybody sure. you still have personalities. We all have personalities. And... Yeah, even the, the greatest gurus in the world have personalities, and some of them are not very tasteful, you know, especially in present time. Work. No, not, not at all. I, I totally agree with you. The, the objective, I think, in because we're all in relationships on the ocean of emotion seeking safe harbor. Yeah. And in order to do so in a business work group, there's a, an element of trust that has to be present that's developed over time through activity and responses and behavior and, and uh, demonstration, right? So all of these things really imbue the workforce with either a, uh, a happy, productive, you know, company culture or one that feels militaristic and contrived. Yeah, constricting, constraining. I've worked in yeah. some companies like that. What? Just uh, you know, just wrapped around the bureaucratic axle and not really allowing of innovation or creativity. Just couldn't handle it, really. Right. Um, that's why I had to leave corporate. I just felt like Me I, too. I, well, I got bored with it. For one thing, and I got just sick of basically being oppressed all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it, um, you know, being a, working for an aerospace company, a lot of our contracts were military. Very Even nice. though we had a large commercial base, the company was ran mil very militaristically, yeah. and so there was this. Well, if you're not going to get, you know, give me what I need, I'm going to go to your boss, or you know, I'm going to because you didn't do this for me, then I'm going to create problems for you in some other way that you may not suspect. And so there was all this, all these game playing, you know, stuff going on. And, and uh, today, there is much less of that, because the aspect of learning how to get along and work together better is instilled as part of that agile development. And especially now, because the you know with remote workers those skills can be <laughs> shopped around right if, if they're not and they can learn uh, and as remote workers they also have the opportunity to live wherever they want to instead of in the places that are depressing or, or debilitating 
so there's a whole new movement of that. It's called regenerative community building, right? Fantastic. And yeah. it really is. So there's all of these things that um, even in community development and business, there's this agile sense of, okay, how can we be better? Not necessarily how can we make more money? Because there's a shift from, at least in my opinion, there's a shift from uh, profit over people and planet to people and planet over profit. That's what doesn't, I would like to. Doesn't do away with profit because that's what greases the wheels. Right. <laughs> it's a byproduct, though. It's a byproduct Absolutely. of. Absolutely. You can really engage your, your employees with trust and, and make them feel that their ideas are valued and heard. That's a kind of workplace that people want to participate in. They want to be part of that. They want to feel like they're doing something good and not just a cog in the wheel. I, I, I mean, that's why I got burned out and I work with a lot of people who got burned out from being just a cog in the wheel. And it, it, it requires much different leadership styles than we had 10, 20 years ago. It does. Much I feel uh, so, for lack of a better, blessed. I started doing partnering workshops for building road, bridge and, and waterway construction projects back in 2004, I think. I was scared to death initially because here I am, you know, center of attention, getting people, uh, large construction teams. Um, it could be 20, could be 40. The largest one was 80 for a half a billion dollar project. All these principles are what partnering is built on. That's right. Right. So for me to be able to practice these with a group of people and move them to a better place where they're in agreement, they know what their code of ethics are, that they, they've got goals and objectives that they all agree upon, and they, they learn how to communicate more effectively to get the job done so that there's work flow and not work stoppage. Yeah. Because the stoppage costs hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Huge. Yeah. Right. So being able to, to convert that understanding into these ways, great practice. And, and, uh, and as you're seeing it, you know, being able to do that with business, because small business owners and, and small business leaders, that's how, that's what's going to move our world forward. Right? I think so. Yeah. And they're already the greatest employers uh, that they employ the greatest number of people. Yep. And, and so, again, that's why I really like entrepreneurialism. But yeah, in the, the corporations, they have household names. They've done a really good job of marketing themselves over the decades they've been in existence. Uh, they're having a change too. Mm -hmm. they change too, because creating a team culture that's exclusive, almost exclusively online takes a lot more energy. It takes a lot more finesse. And that's what entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs have been doing that for probably decades, a very long time. We know how to create a team environment, even though we're all in totally different locations. We have tools for that, that makes right. us feel connected. It makes us feel like we're part of a, a thing. We're part of something together. And we're using and one of those. We are, that's right. Yeah, it's amazing how the virtual world vir virtually exploded uh, after COVID, right? Yeah. And now, there are, I'm aware of multiple entrepreneurial groups that have, are coming together, people with skill sets of high level skill sets that are 
tired of the way things are and they're looking for others of similar ilk that you know they can develop projects with with together and through the virtual world now it's global absolutely and so there's a lot of encouragement to, uh, for us and others like us and and even those who maybe neither that the world is going to get better you know i'm always looking for the silver lining i train myself something bad happens and i i just start as soon as i kind of like recover from shock i'm like what's the good that could come out of this what's the good that could come out of this we live in a world now after the pandemic where we know a lot more about what's happening in the rest of the world right we, we're a much tighter knit like whenever a group goes through a trauma together we become bonded and here we are as an entire world bonding through this trauma and you're seeing you know helping people across the world sending sending supplies and resources to countries that are having a much harder time than other countries and you're seeing you're also seeing a lot of mental health awareness come out. There was so much suppressed with mental health. It wasn't okay to say that I spent all this time depressed and now I'm famous or whatever. Now right. these famous people are saying, I went through that. Well, and mental health was, dri was DSM driven. DSM? Yeah, DSM four, five, I think they're up to six now or so. The, the diagnosis manual, yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. right. And it's a big, thick manual that, oh, okay, your symptoms are, and, you know, let's thumb, thumb through it, write down the diagnosis yeah. and prescribe for it. Right. Right. Well, There's we're learning that that's... subtlety with mental health. Like, you might have a little teeny piece of this and this and this, but you can manage that. You can learn how to understand yourself well enough. This is what I like to teach. I like to teach people to see their triggers coming to head off an episode. Sure. But, you know, just the awareness of mental health and not making it such a stigma and instead giving each other compassion and leeway for what's really happening and what's really going on. Right, right. It's you know, huge. It huge is. Heart evolution in general. The, uh, I remember back in the beginnings of the ADHD, right? And it's an attention deficit well, is it really, or are these kids just so super alert that they can move so quick that it <laughs> that we can't handle it, and so we it's label so it drug it? Everybody, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I taught special ed for a while, and and so I noticed that my high school students, and, and I would rather have them off the cocktail than on it because they're more present, right? Yeah. Um, why would you not want that for your child? It, and again, it is in the inability of um, learning, knowing, and, and understanding what those aspects are and then how to effectively negotiate with them so that the person can feel more functional and accepted and not feel dissociative because they have a disorder or dad order or daughter order, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for the grim. I don't know. I'm barking. I'm just acknowledging, right? Um, so how would you be able to uh, 
effectively um, offer some simple advice for someone that, that's in the throes of their own chaos or mishigas and, and, and how they might be able to see their way through it? There's a lot of different forms of, of internal chaos. So, mm -hmm. but I do have, what I usually teach people is to learn how to meditate. So I have, uh, there's the mindfulness meditation is extremely healthy for the brain. That's where you are connecting with the sensations that you're feeling in any given moment, like the dog barking outside my window right now. And, or the, the wind, the touch of the wind, the quality of the light, textures, you know, that's when you just take a very few minutes, it can be three, five minutes of just presencing, how does my body feel right now? That kind of mindfulness is very, very calming and very nutritional for the brain. Mm -hmm. And another meditation that I teach that is like a energy balancing meditation, is it's just called the column of light. It's very similar to other meditations that are out there where you connect your body to the center of the earth. You connect your crown chakra to the center of the multiverse. Some people might call that the heart of God. And then you bring that universal energy down the back of your spine and you bring earth energy up the back of your spine. And you have, now you're connected to these two polarities and you can feed your chakras with those energies, those infinite, so it's rejuvenating, and it's also very centering. Right. To teach people, the two poles playfully pull apart and pull your chakras back in and along your spine, and now you're centered, now you're grounded, and now you're the witness of that chaos. It's kind of a spiritual qigong, huh? Right, right. Well, we, we don't, now, um, if I could remember the name of the guy, but there's a guy who's called it the seventh sense, our ability to watch ourselves and witness ourselves. I just call it the observer. The observer, the witness, yeah. And so yeah. many spiritual gurus have talked about this. And well, there's, a, there, there's another part that's a, a witness and or will center, right? Uh, yeah. So there's all, all kinds of different aspects, and we call them by different names, and, and still that aspect that you're talking about it again it, it's quantum entanglement it's allowing yourself to be connected to all parts of you right and we are creators we have the capacity to co-create together in ways that are used to be incredulous and today are being proven quite credible because of the results we're getting. Yeah. yeah. And the experience we have. We cannot, you know, we were talking earlier about belief systems. How do you trump a belief system? Well, you trump it with an experience system. That's right. right. A, a, a specifically designed experience system that mm -hmm. you create. You're creating, you're moving away from old mind maps in your brain, literally old cell structures that create your belief systems in your brain and your subconscious to a new cell structure of new mind maps. Right. You can atrophy those trauma-based mind maps and you don't have to be that person ever again. Yet there's always gonna be like a little shadow over there, but you can create yourself anew. 
You really can. Oh, I, I totally agree with you and have done it for myself. And I understand from that process that you know, there, uh, the history or herstory, depending, um, comes across from both our, for lack of a better, solar lineage as well as our genetic lineage. Because those, all of those things are embedded and the evolutionary process is looking at them and rising above them, or as I said earlier, ascending at the speed of surrender, right? Because when you can just look and not be attached, then you can make choices as to where you want to go instead. Yes, yes. And the non-attachment is the witness self. You can see you're being triggered. Uh, wow, that person's angry at me. I'm scared now. I'm shaking in my body, and, and but you're watching it. Oh my gosh, look, my body's shaking. I'm, mm -hmm. really, I, I'm really affected by the way that person's uh, approaching me and I can choose how I wanna respond. Right, and there's no denial of it from that place because most of the time in my experience, whenever those things happen, we wanna deny what's going on inside of our body and operate from here and trying to push through and get whatever it is that we need or Absolutely. whatever job needs to be done. Especially men. Oh yeah. No offense, but especially oh, taken. Yeah, I am one. Not, you're just not allowed to have your feelings. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, and, and it's the same for women who have a strong masculine personality. Exactly. Um, lesser for men who have a strong feminine personality. <clears throat> so what we're seeking to do is find that balance between the masculine and feminine within each of us, because yeah. we all have it, yeah. right? And then move forward with that. Well, cool. Um, gosh, I tell you, I, this has just been a, a really wonderful conversation. Um, and I know our, our audience has gotten some results with it because yeah, th there's just so much for me. This is why I like about apocalyptic chats, right? We uncover, we peel back the layers of the onion to show kind of how all things are similar, if not the same, we just see them or label them differently. Yeah, semantics, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll have this new design bubble up and, and uh, we will have a new world order of harmony among people and planet within. It's, it's here now, it's here now. I can feel it, I can tune into it and I've been feeling it brewing for quite a long time, 10, 15 years at least, I've been feeling this upsurge of, of harmonious consciousness that is brewing up in each of us individually. And it'll be so interesting to see how it overflows into the collective consciousness, into the power structures. I'm fascinated, I can't wait. Right, and the burgeoning of the, um, for lack of a better, people like us, the weird ones, that are bridging the worlds of science and spirituality and structure and able to be assistance to that process. Yeah, it's a privilege. It is, truly. Yeah. It's a real yeah. privilege to be alive right now as a light worker. Yeah. As a person, period, I think it's a privilege to be alive now. Right? Uh, anything you'd like to leave our guests with as a specific thought to take with them? 
You know, I'm going to go back to something I heard from one of the 13 grandmothers, Maria Alisi, and she was giving a talk and I asked her, Maria Lisi, how can we align with the vision of the 13 grandmothers? What, what, how, how do we walk in your talk? And she's like, take care of each other, be kind to each other, be helpful, be compassionate. And the reasons the gurus talk about that is everything we talked about here. That is an act, that act of love and compassion is healing and corrective for that other person. Mm -hmm. It's nurturing. It's nurturing cool. to our world right now. And it helps people when there's so much chaos to know that there's an island of compassion and love available to them in mm -hmm. a given moment. Absolutely. Octavia, thank you so much for being our guest today. Absolutely. It's just been a blast. Thank you, Zen. Oh, you're welcome. Namaste. And <laughs> namaste and in la catch. And thank you for listening to this episode of One World. I am your host, Zen Benefield, and I'll see you next time.